Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us in our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today is my co-host, Andy. Hello. And our guest, Azu. Hi. Azu, why don't you uh, quickly introduce yourself to everyone and tell us a little bit about your history with Star Trek. Hey, so uh, my name is Azu, full name Azucena. My history with Star Trek, growing up, we had four channels. (laughs) (laughs) And one of them had the TNG reruns. And I've always been fascinated by space. And, you know, I think the first time I watched it, it was some random episode. It might have been a Worf-centric episode. And it just hooked me. And I didn't get back into it until maybe after college. And during lockdown, I just went like full on like everything. The movies, the the original series, the animated series, which I had never had access to until, you know, it was on streaming. So, yeah. And I just like completely into it now everything everything Star Trek. i got my sister into it now she's watching voyager with me so yeah it's a very exciting time i love it i love that streaming services are not only like where star trek lives now with the new stuff but that it is allowing people to see the old stuff yeah that was something really special i was like you know i i I knew about the animated series but i just never had the access to it Mm -hmm. and you know you'd see screenshots of this and that and i was like oh that's what that's from (laughs) you know and it was really cool to be like on the joke with everybody you know in on the joke with everybody for example like when the computer goes rogue and it starts pulling off the pranks. The practical joker. Yeah. Yeah. Kirk is a jerk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you see that screenshot everywhere. I didn't I didn't know like what to attribute it to. And I was just laughing so hard when that happened. I was like, oh, that's what that is. I'm glad that more people are coming around to the brilliance of the animated series because <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's definitely something special. <laughs> Well, our main topic today is going to be the Next Generation Season 7 episode, Dark Page. But before we get there, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first, as usual. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get some awesome rewards from thanks on social media to silly watch-along commentaries to podcast episodes on non-Star Trek topics. Grace and Sarah recently did one on Murder, She Wrote. That is hilarious. So if you'd like to check that out, visit us on patreon.com slash women at warp. If you're looking for podcast merch, check out our Public store. There are so many designs with new ones being added all the time, especially anytime we find a phrase that we really enjoy, and so much more than just t-shirts. Find it all at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. And finally for today, on the day this episode comes out, we are just over a month out from Mission Chicago, and the entire crew is planning to be in attendance at the convention and expecting to have a booth on the floor. So please come by and say hello and talk to us and buy some convention merch. And uh, we can't wait to to see people again at conventions for the first time in quite a while. I will be there as well. (laughs) So, Dark Page. Azu, this was your suggestion to talk about this episode. So I want to start by asking you, 
What what draws you to it? What made you think this one? Let's do this one. Originally, the first time I saw it, I had some insight into it. You know, I mean, off the bat, I love Troy and I love I love Fluxwada even more. And it's just the way that and the direction that the episode went in. I was so surprised, you know. Usually, Mrs. Troy is used kind of like a comic relief for the episode, the B-plot. And this just was so serious and so deep. And to me, it almost hit on a personal level, too, because growing up, I was kind of like my mom was Mrs. Troy, right? This happy person. And then anytime you would ask her about the children that she lost, she would shut down, you know? And we, she would shut down the conversation, didn't talk about it, walked away. And this episode just hit close to home, you know? It kind of helped me understand how just talking about it or thinking about it would bring back all those hurtful memories. So, and I just, I... Major Barrett's acting in it is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it you hear about how much she struggled to be taken seriously as an actress and in her in her field. And I'm just so glad that this this episode was written for her and that she was able to kind of stretch out her legs and really showcase her skills. Yeah, I I've always really loved this episode. I love the whole concept. I love that it focuses on a character that is usually, as you said, used as comic relief. I love that it focuses on a mother-daughter relationship, which we don't get to see as often as I'd like in Star Trek. I think just the the idea and and the emotion behind it is is really powerful. And it's just not your typical... Star Trek episode in a lot of ways. So I find it to be a really nice change of pace. I think it's easily one of the best Troy episodes. And I really love that they gave Troy a chance to show off not only her telepathy, but her therapy skills and her counseling skills and just deepening the, I guess, backstory of both Loxana and Troy. I just, I really love it. I've always really loved it. It was one of my favorites of season seven when I first saw it. And I enjoyed it just as much this second time around. It's, I think it's a really solid episode. I was surprised when uh, putting some notes together for this episode, how many different outlets sort of rate this episode kind of middling. Yeah. Which, I don't know, maybe because there aren't spaceship battles or, you know, features of data painting. But <laughs> I, I was surprised by how much how little consideration this episode seems to get. Yeah, it's it's a very grown up episode for Star Trek. You know, there's no pew pew, as my sister says. <laughs> it, it, it is very grown up. It deals with a very serious adult topic that isn't out of the realm of like, well, my brother got shut down in a spaceship. No, this is like it could happen to anybody. The, the tragedy didn't happen in some far off planet, some weird disease that probably could never happen to anybody in real life. Like it, it, it is tangible, mm. you know. And I think maybe that's why it doesn't. And, and, and in in a sci fi show too, like so maybe that's why it, it it's not 
as highly regarded for people. And it also, I think, it, you know, it, for it being on a sci-fi show, you know, it typically caters, the episodes typically cater towards the male uh, audience. And then this episode was centered around two female characters dealing with some very serious emotional trauma. And I think that that also might puts it in a different category for a lot of people. Yeah, when I was first time trekking it, I was also surprised that this wasn't considered like a like a highly rated episode. I think in general, partly it might just be the pacing. Like this episode takes its time. You know what I mean? It's not super tightly plotted. It's it's very much like almost meandering and I personally love that, but I could see how others would not. And I think it's just tonally a departure in general. So personally, one thing that I've always really loved about Star Trek is, you know, when we talk about a typical Star Trek episode, and I think I, I even use that phrase myself, like you're a, a typical everyday normal kind of like Star Trekky episode. But the, but the the joy of Star Trek is that you can't put it in a box. It, it runs the gamut from silly to very slow and emotional and thoughtful. So I I understand why folks might not find it to be the most exciting of episodes, but I still really love it, and it's I still have a really soft spot in my heart for it. So before we get into any further details on the episode, I really. I want to do a three-sentence summary, and I really liked that idea that Jera introduced in our last episode review in City on the Edge of Forever, so I'm going to stick with it. Three-sentence summary of this episode. Loxana Troy is helping a telepathic species called the Cairn learn how to communicate with spoken language, but she's having severe mood swings and outbursts that are out of character for her. The leader of the Cairn, Maquis, reveals that there is a part of her that she's been keeping hidden, and that secret is attacking her metaconscious and threatening her life. When Loxana falls unresponsive, Deanna has to telepathically enter her mother's mind with the help of Maquis to rescue her from her collapsing psyche, and in the process learns that she had a sister she never knew. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of background trivia that I could find for this episode. I think what might be the most interesting thing is that this story was kind of passed around and worked on and pitched a few different ways by Hillary Bader. And it was originally pitched as a Dr. Crusher story. It was going to be her and another female doctor. I don't know why it was specifically another female doctor, but it was then a Geordie story. And the notes, the, the different books say that it went through just about every iteration it could have until they landed on Deanna and Loxana. And that's when it really seemed to fall into place. That makes sense to me. I, I don't I could see this being a Crusher story, but I I like I like Crusher's function in this episode, which is basically just it it was cool to see Crusher and Troy working together on a on a problem like that. Like professionally. That was really cool to me. And I, I don't know, I just think it fits better tonally and, and then thematically with Loxwana and, and Deanna. Yeah, I don't think it would have worked as well if, if, if it wasn't for their already developed 
relationship. I mean, if we would have got it, if we would have gotten Dr. Crusher and some random doctor for this one episode, mm-hmm. it would have been kind of weird for a story that that seems so personal. Yeah, and this is a character that I guess is a recurring character. You would call it. She's not a regular guest. She's not a regular cast member, but we know her, mm-hmm. and it is. Uh, one of the things um, Renee Echevarria, who who did a polish to the script uncredited, noted was that the difficult part was finding a secret that was dark enough, but wouldn't portray Loxana unsympathetically. Because hmm. you could, you know, it, you think about pushing away the the death of a child that could make a character come off as callous or even unfeeling entirely. Well, and I think that Luxwana as a character is very emotional. So I don't think that you have the same worry that that's going to happen because that's how Luxwana deals with things. She She's very in touch with her emotions. She doesn't tend to censor herself. One reason why I really like this episode is I really enjoy kind of the themes around honesty and privacy. Hmm. So a lot of the, the 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 telepathic kind of backstory of this race and the fact that they don't have a concept of privacy and that they consider like they don't understand the concept of privacy and but but Luxana who has always been a very open character it shows that she does actually have boundaries and private areas of herself which I think with a character like that, who's so usually open, finding out that they have hidden depths is always really fun for me and always really interesting to kind of like unpack what's going on underneath what they're projecting to everyone. It kind of makes me think of, so far, the only Neelix episode I've ever really liked, which was Jatrell, which I think does the same thing for his character. Yeah, and also it was uh, reminiscent of the episode of DS9. When she's stuck in the in the elevator with with Odo, yeah, with Odo, yeah, you know, just kind of peeling back the layers, and or in her case, her wig. <laughs> <laughs> the depths that that gives her also makes you wonder if that boisterous, flamboyant act is her armor. Yeah, I mean that that scene in the elevator is a good example of her taking her armor off. Mm-hmm. I've always thought it was it was quite apropos that they had a character who very much cared about fashion and looking glamorous and beautiful. The way she shows vulnerability is taking off her wig and letting herself be seen without that armor. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think this character would work nearly as well with a lesser actress. When they give her something really meaty to do, she knocks it out of the park. Makes me sad that she started off with Christine Chapel. And she was so bored. Poor Chapel. I, I think specifically of this episode and also Half a Life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's sad that we didn't get more of her in everything. But more Dark Page. So <laughs> <laughs> there is obviously the, the big, big theme or story is the loss of a child in this episode. And there was... A review from Sci-Fi, so I think it was Sci-Fi Wire, and I could not find an author name on the review that read, 
I will defend Dark Page forever because there aren't a lot of times Star Trek boldly tries to deal with a mother losing a child. Loxana loses her daughter. She loses a husband. And then she becomes sort of a transient and finds that she's the only one who even knows this young girl ever existed. No wonder she tried to bury it. No wonder she can't. Yeah. And... I mean, going to the the loss of a child and how deeply that impacts someone. And then also just grief in general, how people react to it in different ways. And some of those ways are unhealthy. And in this case, she was trying to protect herself, but she also, like Deanna grew up her whole life without knowing that she had a sister and knowing anything about her. And I like the way that Deanna is able to pull her out of this by asking for good memories and wanting to know more about her sister that she never knew and celebrating her life instead of mourning it, I think is a really powerful idea. And just grief in general, I have found never truly goes away. It It's like waves. It's like one day you're feeling fine. And then the next day you're drowning again. And I always find stories that kind of unpack and explore the way we deal with grief to be very interesting because I have found that there's no one way that somebody deals with something like this. And I don't know, I find these sorts of uh, stories quite healing, to be honest. I think uh, like another really great character note on Deanna is how she is given all this information. I mean, like, dumped on and she doesn't react like why didn't you tell me about this i can't believe you held this up from me you know she was like okay tell me about her you know like even though it's completely personal at this point she is still professional i should say like when it comes to kind of still pulling her through it through the sobs of her mother, you know, and still trying to kind of calm, diffuse the situation. I don't think I would be able to do that personally. The hardest thing when I was when I was grieving my father, the hardest thing that happened was when I would have to tell other people. That would like I'd be fine, 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 and then I'd have to tell someone and I'd lose it. And part of the reason was just having to say it out loud. But part of it was also when other people react, Mm -hmm. it exacerbates your feelings. So when people are upset or sad for you or trying to show empathy, which are all good things. And, you know, I understand why people do that. But it just amplified my own feelings. And I remember one time when I had a friend who... She's young, she's healthy, comes out of nowhere, calls me and says, I have cancer. And I was like, okay. And I asked some questions and I was really calm. And she's like, you're the first person who I haven't had to comfort. You're the first person that I didn't have to like, that didn't start crying. And then I had to like, help them feel their feelings. Wow. And and I, I told her I was like, I am upset. I'm really upset. But also, I don't want to put my feelings on you. It's really hard not to do that. But in this case, that's what Deanna does. She lets Luxana have her feelings instead of putting her feelings front and center. 
And I, I think that's admirable and very hard to do when it's something as huge as this. Like, at some point, I would think, and I, I wish we could see more of this, but, you know, TNG, it's very much a, and, okay, and now we're done. It's super rare that they unpack trauma past a single episode, but in my opinion, it seemed likely to me that Deanna would probably react to this later and have to unpack her own feelings, but that she would do that privately and not not with Luxana. Like, that to me would be the best way to deal with that because then you're not exacerbating the grief that's already there. Absolutely. And what's interesting, spoilers for Picard, and <laughs> I think this is your note, that this sort of foreshadows Troy's own story. Yeah, I mean, when I was I was watching the episode, I, I rewatched it during lockdown and just as Picard was coming out and and I was like, wait a minute. And I was like, it happened again. <laughs> it's now some sort of generational curse. Troy also loses a child, her oldest as well. Different circumstances, but she still has to deal with it and lives with it a different way, though, than her mother, for sure. It's different circumstances, but still a situation where she's essentially powerless. Yes. And this is not counting Ian Andrew, the alien baby from season two. Yes, not counting. <laughs> that, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's a whole different thing. But in, in Picard, which is episode seven, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> Wonder what that's about. But, you know, she, she deals with it. She learns, I think, from her own experience with her mother and goes about it a different way. You know, they talk about the child the entire time and with the sibling and they still have the room, the bedroom set up and all the things. And they talk about the child fondly, you know, and remembering all the good things and how they used to have the secret language together and things like that. And, which I think to me is, uh, you know, in par with, with her character. I, I don't think I could imagine Deanna being any other way than, than how she is dealing with the loss of a child and the aftermath of having to care for another sibling in junction with the grief of having to deal with the loss. Additionally, didn't she name her daughter Kestra after her sister in this episode? Yep. Yes. Yeah, and the situation is also different for, for Deanna's children in that Thaddeus was older and he and Kestra had a relationship and she had the memories. When Loxana's Kestra died, Deanna was so young that Loxana's reaction was to just erase those years from her life. And that, I guess, to to grieve by not grieving. Yeah. And I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, you lose a child and then a couple of years later, you lose the husband too. You know, and that, I'm sure that was not easy for her. And having to cling on to Deanna even more than she had. It also kind of shows kind of where some of that ha comes from, her 
the fact that she is kind of controlling. It makes sense because she is clinging. She is trying to hold on to the one person and her family that she has left. Well, and as problematic as it is that she's always looking for Deanna to be married and find a husband, it gives us some, maybe some motivation behind that, that it's about wanting her to be protected. Yeah, definitely. I I, I think that this episode really just kind of unraveled and so odd that it was, you know, us season seven episode we had to wait this entire time to really kind of get the plot points in mrs troy's life to figure out why she is the way she is with deanna you know i mean she's all grown up now she's off somewhere god knows where you know she's going off to different missions and getting targeted by the Borg and all this other stuff and it's out of her hands at this point and really this is all she has left this is the the entirety of her family is Deanna and she's off doing all these things. And, you know, she doesn't have any control over what happens. So I, I, I've, I've never, I've never seen her behavior with Deanna as controlling in a negative way. I've always seen it as caring but then again, I come from a Mexican family, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like maybe I just got a <laughs> that pounded into me. But um, it's it, it, I never saw it in, in a negative way. I always saw it as coming from a nurturing way. Like you need somebody to keep you company. You need somebody to look after you or for, for you to look after somebody as well, you know. And then with this, it just completely unraveled. I was like, that's why. You know, this, that's why, I mean, she was looking away when it happened. She wasn't, you know, she says, I should have been looking, I should have been watching her and she wasn't. And I think that it, it's just, it, it brings it back to this, you know, like Deanna is not being looked after. She's not being watched. So anything could happen. Just to clarify, we're not saying that you need to be in a relationship to be safe. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that no this is a motivation inside a mother's head from writers in the late 90s mid 90s yeah look if if luxana wanted deanna to be watched all the time she should have just got her a jerry cat because i'm pretty <laughs> sure that jerry cat could win in the staring olympics i can't go into a single room without him following me and watching me so just saying <laughs> don't get a husband get a cat if you want to be watched over. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, some of the, some of the, the, the beginning stuff where Luxwana is being Luxwana, I find interesting in this episode. Uh, first of all, it really makes me laugh. Her, 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 the way she like tries to set Deanna up is super reminiscent of what my mom does too. Mm -hmm. She just brings me over to whoever it is, says some random fact about me, and then leaves. <laughs> This is Andy. She likes Star Trek. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, thanks, Mom. Really got this going for me. And that that was really, I, I find that very funny. It's just as awkward in real life, I can tell you. But it, it, <laughs> that to me is a super mom thing. Maybe, maybe just my mom and Deanna's mom, but 
very, very familiar feeling. I also found it interesting when we still don't know what's going on. We have a handful of times where she has outbursts. And one of the ones that I thought was most interesting was that her anger towards Riker. And it, mm-hmm. it made me think that this is actually a real resentment that she has. That she feels like Riker is holding Deanna back or Deanna can't move forward with other relationships because, you know, she's so attached to Riker. It made me feel like this was maybe a real resentment that she had that she never felt like she could express. And that's why it comes out during this time. And I found that interesting. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, like, in contrast, then we have her yelling, (laughs) completely snapping on Breaker. Why don't you Mm -hmm. just leave her alone? I mean, it was it was so jarring. Even to Riker, he was like taken aback. You know, I don't think that's probably the first time she's she's ever yelled at him. But you know, it's I I think that you're right. It's this thing that she has been holding back, and and this resentment that he hurt her, and yet she's still clinging on to some sort of hope that they're going to get together. And it is holding her back. But not too long after this, she starts dating Worf. Woof. Sorry. Woof. Woof. <laughs> Sorry, Sue. I have to correct you. You have to pronounce it correctly. It's Mr. Woof. <laughs> oh, so great. <laughs> I really enjoy the number of times that Loxana gets some good zingers in on, on Worf. And his face is just <laughs> a work of art. Oh, she's incredible. Yeah, I like how he let it go. Like, he's like, ah, there's no point. (laughs) There's no point. (laughs) Well, I mean, going back to, you know, Troy and Worf, woof. One thing I've always liked about Riker and Deanna is you can tell they have a great deal of love for each other that will probably never go away and obviously doesn't. But that they don't try and hold each other back from romantic relationships. So while I would actually understand where where Luxana is coming from in this episode with her little hidden resentment moment, I actually think Riker and Troy, that's one of the things that I love about their relationship is, you know, there's a handful of times where Deanna is, you know, getting with the dude of the week, the sketchy dude of the week. And uh, Riker's reaction is like, of course, that's her choice. She can do what she wants. She's a grown woman, you know? And I've always really enjoyed that about both of them. Yeah, their relationship always has been so mature. I mean, and especially for the time period, like it's been, they've always been open with each other about, you know, the dude of the week, as you said, (laughs) (laughs) or, uh, you know, some sexy hologram uh, lady. (laughs) Except in the child, again. Who's the father? (laughs) Who was the writer on this episode? (laughs) That one, that one is just... An outlier in a lot of ways. Ugh. Riker's reaction to to that it has been has always struck me as wrong and out of character. Now, is this one of the earliest representations in Star Trek of the long term effects of trauma? I would say yes, just because we don't. As I said earlier, one of the frustrating things is. There's lots and lots of trauma on TNG that doesn't tend to get unpacked very much. The closest we get is usually Picard and his trauma at the hands of the Borg. So we get that explored more. Yeah. But 
I mean, it's one of the, our criticisms of how they handle Troy in general, right? Is that she goes through an immense amount of trauma and it's never kind of referenced again and she never really unpacks it. So they could do more in this area, I think. I think they start to with Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And we get a, a lot of time on, on Voyager with Bellana especially, and then Seven. Yeah, I think they, they, they definitely start getting better at it in at uh, with DS9. But in TNG, we didn't get a lot of that and definitely didn't get it in uh, the original series. Well, part of that is just, too, is a difference in how TV was made. TOS is very much the old school. Like, you're, once if you didn't see the episode, well, then that was it. So they couldn't really do very much on the kind of arcs and callbacks. And then TNG is just about when episodic television started to actually happen and reruns started to happen. So it was just starting to get that way. And so that's why I think you get more of this in Deep Space Nine and Voyager, because television itself as a medium, as a storytelling medium, was shifting. But we didn't even also get, like, uh, you know, hints at, like, why somebody was the way they they were. Even if you just did it for that one episode. Like, okay, so his father died and that's why he you know, does this. And, Mm. you know, we never got any of that. Even if it was just for that one episode to learn just a little bit more behind the motivations of a certain, of of a certain character, we never got that. And it it wasn't until like the, the, towards the end of a TNG, when we started to explore more of that, you know, the episode uh, where Picard, where we learned about Picard and his, um, uh, his accident with uh, when he had to have the heart replacement with Q, you know, and we learn why Picard is the way he is because of that one incident. Now, one doesn't have to, you know, go beyond that to know now that, OK, that, you know, that's why he is. And and I think, yes, it is the way that TV has evolved, but to kind of connect to real life issues, too. I think that was also like really great on their part. And the fact that they did not let the story go, like you said, like it went through so many rewrites and like, they were like trying different characters and no, it's not going to work for this one. But I think it's, it's, it says a lot about the writing that somebody didn't just say, no, nah, forget it, dump it, you put it in the wastebasket and they just reworked it and reworked it and found a place for it and characters that it would work for. I think it says a lot about the story. Like you said, and it, it's, it's really tragic that more people don't hold it to higher regard. Yeah. I also found it very accurate, at least to my experience with how we see Loxana. I don't want to use this word, but I can't think of another one triggered by seemingly mundane things or normal things you know a smell or a look or just the the way that hedrel the the girl in the story kirsten dunst is <laughs> reminds her of kestra and just little things can can send you somewhere that you didn't think was was going to happen that day and that mm-hmm. that happens all the time at least with with me and grief you know it happened to me earlier today when I, I came across something I wasn't expecting to see, and then I sat down and I cried for an hour. So, <laughs> see, triggered is the correct word for that. <laughs> it's just been 
like the context has been stripped away from that word, which is really unfortunate because that's exactly what happens. She's triggered by seeing a girl that reminds her of Kestra fall into water. Like that's what causes her to pass out. Yeah. And it's just the, the unpredictable nature of triggers as well. I think they did, they did a really great job at at portraying, like, you never know what, you know, a word, a look, you know, something that you might've just stumbled upon. It just hits you. And sometimes you can take a deep breath and just roll right with it and just put it away and walk away. And then sometimes it just, just impales you. And you have to take your time to recover. And it it really is the unpredictable nature of triggers. And, you know, it's just something that people that deal with grief have to deal with all the time. I have to say that the first time I watched this, probably college, the first time I noticed like, wow, this is a really great episode. Like, I can't believe they're doing this. Second time I watched it was during lockdown. And unfortunately, lockdown happened March. I lost two children in October before lockdown. And I broke down watching it because now you're on that side of it. And then the third time I watched it was, you know, getting ready for this episode. So you just have to take a step back and kind of explore your own feelings about grief and how eerily similar. I mean, my mother lost two children. I lost two children now. And I have to deal with it. And she had to deal with it the way that she dealt with it. And I'm dealing with it by, we didn't hold a funeral. We held a celebration of life. For us, it actually happened at the end of October. So their celebration of life was actually during the Day of the Dead. So we held a big come all celebration of life. We asked people not to dress in black. We said, bring on the most colorful clothes you've got. Be loud. Be happy. Because... You know, they lived. And that's what Deanna asked. Tell me about her. What was she like? I think that's a really, really good way to deal with it. You know, if you are going to shut down, it's going to come back in a negative way like it did with Mrs. Troy. You know, and I've, I, I read The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, and he just goes through how trauma has, you know, affects the body, it manifests itself physically, and the whole difference between, you know, fight, flight, and collapse, right? And for Mrs. Troy, it resulted in collapse, where the body just shuts down. Um, where it could no longer function, you know, and she enters this comatose state. And somebody must have done their research, you know, on the writing team because 
a lot of the stuff that was explored in the episode connected to the uh, what was in the book. A lot of the physical manifestations of trauma on the body. And I just, I, I found it really interesting. And the fact that they made it sci-fi, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, this, this is happening to a beta soid. And, you know, they're talking about the, the, oh, it's the psychic part of, of the, the beta soid brain. But yeah, no, they, you know, they talk about how it affects different parts of, of the brain and it, how different, you know, sections control different organs and how if that's affected, then it's going to shut down your diaphragm and you can't breathe. Or, you, you know, you, it, it manifests itself in digestive problems and all this other stuff. And just how you have to deal with it and realize that it's not just in your head. I, I know that when I'm really struggling, I stop eating, you stop sleeping. So like sometimes it, it, it can manifest in those ways as well and that you stop taking care of yourself, which exacerbates, you know, the the physical symptoms that you're going through. So it can be really complicated. And I don't know, I don't feel like our society has really a good way for us to really grieve. I feel that, unfortunately, it doesn't feel like we're really given the space needed to grieve fully, especially since grieving takes years. It never really ends, but, you know, we're supposed to, to bounce back. There's, there's, there's supposed to be like a set amount of time in which, you know, your grieving is socially acceptable and then suddenly it's not. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot with the pandemic because there's been so much loss and it doesn't feel like we're dealing with it on a societal level at all. It feels like we're just burying our feelings over it and just trying to move past it. And it doesn't feel very healthy to me. I don't, I, sometimes I wake up and I go to work and I'm thinking to myself, what are we doing? Like, we're just trying to pretend everything is fine. And I feel like that's like a macro level of what people on a micro level as individuals are supposed to do with grief now, is you're just supposed to push through somehow. And I don't find it healthy. And I find your way of grieving much healthier. The idea of having a celebration of life and not forgetting them and taking your time to think about them and dressing in bright colors and and being together and, you know, loving that person, that to me is really, really vital to the health of yourself and the society of being able to reckon with death and what happens afterwards. Yeah, I think it's not just the the, the notion of like, or, you know, the how to deal with grief. It's pretty much everything. I mean, bullying and you'll hear like, oh, just get over it. Uh -huh. or you know uh, sexual assault was like just get over it it's it, it's not just with grief I mm -hmm. think I, I think with our society we're like all about it, it, almost like a what are you producing yeah and 
get over it so you can keep doing it. Yeah. So we're not allowed the time to deal with all these feelings, not only about what's happening at home, but what's happening in our society. You know, you don't want to step outside and deal with all these people that are attacking school clerks because they told you to wear a mask. You don't want to deal with people that are like, well, no, it's not racist because I said so. It's like, just get over it. And we're not allowed the time, given the, the, the time or the the space to do that you know quote unquote so it's just it's not just about grief you know I think it's just a bigger problem overall yeah I think you're right because thinking about like what you're talking about like we don't have time to deal with our like our feelings about any societal problems think about how Folks are like the day after something horrible happens, we're all supposed to just show up to work. And, and like the the various communities that are impacted by more targeted violence, like in this case, I'm thinking of the black community and police violence. They're supposed to somehow watch the news and then go back to work. And I just... I think it's it's these are symptoms of a much bigger sickness within our society in which we don't value life and it and I, we really took this episode <laughs> to the max when we're talking about you know these these sorts of ideas and themes well when we internalize these emotions which is exactly what Loxana does they find a way out and in other ways, I know that it wasn't until, I don't know, probably my early 30s that I was just, I don't know, I, I blew up at somebody and they had the presence to say, what is actually going on with you? And I had to stop and think and say, my anger and frustration in this situation is actually related to this hurt that I felt earlier in the day. And that one experience, I didn't, I want to say it changed me immediately, but it set me on a different way of looking at my own reactions to things. And this thing we all do where we, we internalize our emotions so we can get back to work. I think it's making a lot of us angrier and, and with shorter fuses, but I think it is also getting rid of our empathy. Yeah. I mean, and what a difference that that person made, right? I mean, by just taking a second to not think about like themselves, but say, wait a minute, this isn't normal. What's happening? Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Right. I mean, not many of us do that. And the world would be a lot better if we took the time to do that. You know, we, we tend to be so defensive again, like kind of this like isolationist society, right? We don't think about other people. So we only think about ourselves and it's like, why are you saying that to me? Why are you being defensive? Why are you attacking me? Instead of thinking like, wait a minute, something's going on. I also think that some, one of the reasons why I find art so helpful is because it gives me safe places to feel feelings that I still have distance on. So like this episode made me cry. And it was a good feeling, you know, like I was able to feel sad about something that wasn't me, that wasn't about my life. So it gave me an outlet for a sad feeling. 
And sometimes, you know, Sue, you're talking about like something else was causing you to react emotionally. One of the most hardcore breakdowns I've ever had was I was walking down the street. This is height of the pandemic, right? So things are awful. I'm walking down the street and a bird flew into a window and then was like struggling. And I picked it up and I brought it to the side and I like didn't know what to do. So I literally called a vet and they gave me that there, did you know everyone that there are in Chicago anyway, there is a hotline for if you see a bird, a songbird that is dying or needs help. So I called them and when I was on the phone with them, the bird died and I lost it. Like I was full on in the middle of a really busy street, sobbing, breaking down. And it wasn't because of the bird, you know, the bird made me sad, but like it was because of everything else. The bird just gave me an excuse to be sad, you know? And so episodes like this and art in general, I find really helpful for those kind of emotional releases. And it was really helpful for me today when I watched it and felt sad because sometimes you're sad and that's, you know, a part of being alive. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider. You know, there's there's something going on, on Instagram that said, you know, remember that when everything shut down, you turned to artists, whether it was music, TV, or, you know, reading, you turned to artists. In the darkest of days, everybody turned to artists. And people don't take enough time to appreciate that. Yeah. It's because we don't value the right things. <laughs> <laughs> There's one other question on our notes for today that I think is interesting and I, I want to talk about, which is, would Deanna have been more aware of her mother's struggles if she were a full telepath or a full betazoid? I don't think so. Because Maquis also, he knew there was something wrong. But, like, he is a full telepath, and he couldn't know exactly what was going on, you know? I think his issue was more of communication, because he could, he didn't have the right words to tell Deanna. He knew something was very wrong, but didn't have the words to tell her. You know, so much so that Deanna thought that that it was like, oh, oh, no, that's privacy. That Those are thoughts that are just for her, not for you to mess around with. It's fine. And he's like, oh, it's normal then. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And she's like, oh, okay, I'm less worried now. But he was, I mean, when you look at that episode, he was really concerned like this. Like he said that there's a dark space or darkness in her. And, you know, I think it's just the fact that he had a like language to communicate with Deanna about the, you know, what, what he saw. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't think we've never seen her speak about other betasoids and she only has mr home is it mm -hmm. yeah and he's not betasoid so he, she doesn't it doesn't seem like she has anybody to really talk to about these things either so i don't know if like if if deanna being fully betasoid and being able to communicate and sense more from her would have helped i mean one would hope so then again, it, I mean, it, it might be that she kind of, you know, does have this weird telepathic wall, too. I mean, we, I, I really think that we need more Betasoid characters. Let's just uh, start, get a petition started for Discovery. <laughs> lower decks, lower decks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we ever get a full explanation of how Betazoid telepathy works, 
but I have always gotten the impression that it's more of a can hear your current thoughts as you're having them rather than can go poke around in someone else's mind. And it seems the Cairn have that second one. Because he's the one saying there's this dark area. So I'm not sure that her her telepathic ability being different would have changed that situation. But the one of the main reasons I wanted to, to bring up this question was because I think we have to be careful because that can quickly become somebody saying, well, were there signs I should have seen? And when you start asking these questions of I should or, or thinking these thoughts of I should have seen this earlier, I should have noticed this, there's something I should have been able to do to change this outcome. That's when you start putting guilt and blame and responsibility on yourself, which is not helpful for anyone when you're in a grief situation. Yeah, that that's that's a good point. Uh, that's also something that that I wondered about too when she was recreating the memory. Like, you know, she she was so focused on Deanna. Like again, it's something that we're missing that we don't get enough information about Betasoids. Like did she was she not able to sense her daughter struggling? Or, you know, like, we don't know, you know, or was it too late? Again, we don't know. And I, maybe that's also adding to her guilt. You know, the fact that maybe because she was half human, she couldn't fully, and I mean the child, she couldn't fully project. Hmm. Well, this was a really uplifting episode. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes you got to talk about the hard stuff. I agree. It goes back to sometimes it's okay and even necessary to be sad. Is there anything that we didn't touch on anybody wants to bring up before we close out today? This was a really good topic choice. Thank you for picking it and thank you for joining us to discuss it. It's hearing hearing you speak on it was really lovely and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much. So that about does it for us today. Andy, where can people find you on the internet? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter, at First Time Trek. And Azu, do you have a, a Twitter or a social media presence you'd like to share? I actually do. We started a uh, network of free little libraries in honor of our sons. Um, and you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. Our handle is a double underscore rainbow libraries. I love that so much. Uh, and I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor, S-P-A-L-T-O-R. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com, email us at crew at womenatwarp.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at womenatwarp. From April 8th to 10th, to 2022, find us in Chicago at the McCormick Place. And thanks so much for listening. <laughs>